Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow, great to see you again. Critics agree, Loki season two is marvelous, great, and it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two, now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Absent Minded. It's me, Patrick Bexel, hosting once more with a great lineup. We got Jared Cook over in Montreal. Yes. It's funny. To, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but but the, uh, the Montrealers actually outnumber Patrick today. Uh, it's, the Swedes. It's, it's a rare occurrence. It's a rare occurrence, definitely, <laughs> because on the third microphone, we have uh, Matt Drake. Correct. And technically, I'm in uh, Longueuil, so I'm not really in Montreal. I'm on the South Shore, but... Hey, the uh, Canadians we, Quebec, the Quebec, Swedes. Quebec. We're, we're <laughs> right. both in Quebec. Take, take what we can get at this point. I, I don't think we've ever had two people from Quebec. Since, since Julian, uh, I don't think we've had two people from Quebec on the same podcast. We have to give a shout out to to Matt's new endeavor, the the bottom six minutes. It's been a success. I I hope you guys like it as much as I do. It's perfect for me on my way to work or from work, depending on where where I see it, and it uploads. Uh, great job there, Matt, and and uh, really interesting to hear some some thoughts directly after the game. Thank you. Glad to hear you like it. Uh, we also have a new addition, not to the podcast today, but a a another a friend of the pod that that does make his own pod and it's uh, Dylan Wan that that does the Hab Statistician podcast and we should really give a shout out to that as well because it's a it's a great podcast it's a little bit longer than ours normally so um, just so you're aware of it but a great signing about by Justin for the not even the off season but before the the playoffs yeah he's like our Cole Caulfield um, <laughs> for, for the last stretch well hopefully hopefully more Caulfield and less Eric Stahl uh down the stretch anyway um looking at what has happened really um first game uh, we haven't really discussed it on podcast but obviously it is the Tavares injury that overshadows everything in that game yeah I, you know i'm i'm a i'm an f1 fan i i watch uh a lot of racing and and i, I don't the it it just shook you you know you, you kind of see it out of the corner of your eye you saw Tavares was down after he got taken down by, by Ben Chirot. And you're like, okay, what happened there? And then you see him, the camera goes close to him and you see him kind of try and get up and you can tell he's just not there and he keeps falling back. And it, it reminded me a lot of the Roman Grosjean crash uh, last, last year where you just kind of see a fireball and, you know, it's a few minutes before you know whether he's okay or not. And that's kind of the same thing with Tavares. Like you just didn't know he, if he was okay or not. 
for for a good few minutes the camera kind of went off of them uh for a little bit as well you see the players all concerned so yeah the, the, it was it, it was a a moment where you really felt the lack of fans because i feel like it would have been quiet anyway but it was really quiet <laughs> when, when when that injury happened and it was just it was kind of eerie uh for sure but thankfully he's he seems to be recovering and there's no real um structural damage which is which is great to hear and uh, hopefully he makes a, a full recovery and and we'll, we'll see him back on the ice uh not too far from now yeah for, for me it, it was reminiscent of, of different cycling injuries as i follow uh, cycling uh where where riders have gone down and they are clearly concussed or or, or worse and um the security team and the medical team are just trying to to more or less stabilize everything in order for for more even better professionals to come in and, and sort it out um i'm glad to 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 see that tavares and hear that tavares is doing very well in regards to to what actually happened because it looked really really scary especially with the blood running down from his face as well and yeah at that point we we really can only hope for the best um the aftermath was obviously the fight and uh, i think actually i listened to steve dangle's podcast and and that section of it and i think he really explained it very well even from a toronto point of view that is it necessary isn't it and and it was more about the fact that the toronto player needed to get his team going because everyone was shook up and and this was a way of getting them back into the game and i think that that is a good explanation it's not really about the code it's not really about anything else but but that even if the code is stupid in many ways but because this was a complete accident um hopefully uh as i said it's it's something that we don't see on this side of the pond but obviously you can you, you see it a lot more from the nhl yeah it wasn't a necessary fight if you ask me but I, when you put it that way, like the way that Steve Dangle put it, um, the way that Felino put it himself, where it was getting the team going, trying to get everybody past what just happened, it makes a little bit more sense. I mean, it's not much you can do in that situation. I think Felino probably just felt like he had to do something. Obviously, you know, their entire team essentially agreed with the fact that it was just a freak accident. But, you know, got to do what you got to do sometimes. And Perry answered the bell and, but he didn't even throw a punch. So it didn't look like he was very interested in getting involved in that at all himself. Yeah. Neither guy really seemed like they were going out to hurt the other person in the fight. Right. Like it, it just kind of seemed like both guys were just like, okay, yeah, we got to get through this. Just, you know, take, take a few minutes to, to regroup afterwards. And uh, you know, I, I think that's basically what it was. It was just kind of like that there was no anger in, in Foligno, you know, even, even on his side, you know, going after Perry, I, there was no like angry. There was no like, Oh, I'm going to get you for what you just did. It was just more just like, okay, you know, let's just do this and get it over with and, and, and get back with, with the hockey. And obviously we got back into hockey and uh, what a finish, eh? Paul Byron, yeah. <laughs> a, 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 what we would call here in Sweden, a, a stamp of a goal. It's such a good goal yeah. that, you, that it becomes a stamp in the end. Uh, obviously, Corey Hirsch doesn't need to to uh, adjust the numbers on the goalkeeper this time, but but fantastic goal. Um, I know Sandin is a and, and we saw that last night is a good player and and he's going to be a very good player in the NHL. Uh, his skating though is not 
the absolute best and we can see that when he goes up against Paul Byron that starts with what about a meter and a half two meters uh behind him and and, and actually catches up and, and beats him to the puck yeah you know that's the definition of catching a defender flat-footed right you know that's that's basically you're, you're stopped at the blue line as a as a the guy last guy back and you know you're not expecting that's the danger of this Montreal Canadiens penalty kill we saw it early in the year when they seemingly scored every single time they went on the ice or more or less and and you know it kind of slowed down a little bit but you know that that goal I, I struggled to think of a prettier goal from the Montreal Canadiens that I can remember and to add that it was PK a game winning goal against Boston yeah yeah that, that's a good one as well and, and and the kind of how we remember this goal will kind of go with how the series goes. Because if Montreal loses the series, it'll be remembered like P.K. Subban's game-tying goal in Game 7 in 2011, where, well, you, you don't really, doesn't really have that luster, right, that, that it would have otherwise. You know, you think of that game and you have the that goal, you have the Dale Weiss goal, who I think they both happened in the same game, if I'm not mistaken uh in in the games boston and if montreal loses that series we probably don't talk about either goal the same way so yeah I, I it was a great goal absolutely one of the nicest goals i can remember adding that it was a playoff game winning goal in game one and you know th- that's that's the recipe of uh of a moment that that will put paul byron in, in canadians fans minds for forever maybe going over to football for, for a quick second I saw an amazing stat. Uh, Luis Suarez, who won La Liga with Atletico Madrid last night, um, has scored 21 goals in, in this league campaign in 35 games, I think it is. But 10 of them are, are game-winning goals. Can, can he skate? Can we get him on the, on the Montreal Canadiens? So, sounds like Cole Caulfield. Well, I, I think out of his, what, four goals, uh, a two or two game winnings in overtime, and then add in the AHL, where he scored three goals, and two of those were game winners. Uh, you know, we're, we're taping this on Sunday, so we don't know what's going to happen in game three, but I would be absolutely shocked if, if Cole Caulfield did, didn't get into game three. I, I predicted it on the bottom six minutes. That was my, my closing bit there. I said, I'm predicting that he's going to play, and I'm also predicting he's going to score. I mean, the, the Habs last night had 23 shots on goal, I think, and that's not going to, that's rarely going to be enough unless the other goaltender lays an egg or unless the other team is somehow shooting less than you. And they were trailing by multiple goals for most of the game too, right? So you expect that team to start to to play more offensively and just nothing, couldn't get anything going offensively. Yeah. And Caulfield kind of remedies that because I mean, even if he doesn't score, what does he do? He gets a lot of pucks on net. So you, maybe you get some rebounds. Maybe, maybe you just give Jack Campbell enough work that he gets a little bit more tired because, you know, he kind of settled into that game. And when they did get shots in the third period, you know, he was perfectly ready for them. Well positioned. You got to rattle him a little bit. You got to put more pucks towards the net and Caulfield does that, you know, a typical game for him. It's, it's surprising if he doesn't put at least four pucks on net, Right. And with how good his shot is, that gives you some quality as well. So number one, he's getting pucks on net. Number two, there's a chance that he just straight up beats the goaltender with a straight shot because he's that good at shooting. It's it's a no-brainer for me that he has to get put into the lineup. Maybe he can be there, uh, there Luis Suarez, and, and get some of those game-winning goals or at least get them on the board so that they're not, you know, like you said, trailing by multiple goals for the entire game. Oh, Calfield's shot is is that good also in regards to the fact that he can place it more or less anywhere he wants and that is going to create that's going to create a lot of problems for camp he's basically a, a walking scoring chance right like how many times have we have the montreal canadians 
you know, played against somebody where every time they're on the ice, they're scoring. Austin Matthews is a guy like that. Uh, Connor McDavid, obviously, is a guy like that as well. But there's, there's guys on the ice where it, they don't need to be Alex Ovechkin. They don't need to be in a prime scoring position to score. And I'm not saying that Cole Caulfield is going to score like those guys right now. But he is, he has that same kind of feeling where every time he winds up, you know, think about uh, prime Shea Weber. Every time Shea Weber lifted his stick on the power play, you kind of expected there's a 50-50 chance the puck goes in. And I feel like Cole Caulfield kind of has that as well. Or in your Brendan Gallagher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like it, it's, it's, you feel like you don't need a scoring chance for it to become a scoring opportunity with Cole Caulfield. And, and I think that, you know, his vision is something that, that happens as well. And there's a lot of factors uh, in in the Montreal Montreal Canadiens struggles in Game Two, but in terms of, and that's going to get the attention because that's the more recent game, obviously. But in terms of situations, it's not the worst case scenario. You're coming home. You have home ice advantage in the series right now. Until you lose a game at the Bell Center, Montreal has home ice advantage. So at this point, you're in a good spot. You have last change for the last the next two games. And listen, that Toronto second line is not as good as it would be with John Tavares. It's, it's, a, it's a significant dis- difference there. And if you can get a spark, and I think that that's what Dominic Ducharme was kind of hinting at, like we're going to maybe need a spark. I don't think he was necessarily counting on, you know, being tied 1-1 or obviously that's the goal to win games. But the, the manner in which it happened, where Eric Stahl had a good game one uh, in a win and then losing – game two and he wasn't as good you know Corey Perry wasn't as good that whole line really everybody wasn't very good for the Montreal Canadiens let's be honest but it gives you the opportunity to insert a spark into the lineup so you know you make your adjustments you get guys into the lineup and you have a little bit of of momentum going into it you know if you put Caulfield and and maybe even Alexander Romanov or in in that lineup it's a spark, right? These two guys are going to play their first playoff games. There's going to be a little bit of nerves, but you can put them in positions to succeed because you have last change. And I think that that's what... Because, you know, Romanov has not won the Gagarin Cup. Well, you know, it, there's going to be nerves in the NHL anyway, right? It's, it's. I, I feel like you have to go with the... And I said this before, you have to go with the guys that you got to get you into the playoffs, like guys like Stahl and Perry and John Merrill. And now you can kind of fine tune a little bit. You can see what Toronto's trying to do. You can you know how they're going to attack, but listen, Montreal needs a spark because you know the, in, if game one they looked like a new team, a rested team, everything was going well. They didn't look like the team that was in the regular season. That that second period uh, against Toronto that that reminded me of the end of the regular season, just completely uh, out of sorts. And obviously the penalties hurt a little bit as well. But yeah, I mean, you know, j- just to circle back on the Louis Suarez thing. I just hope that Cole Caulfield doesn't get any biting lessons from Alex Burroughs, <laughs> you know, before the next game, because that wouldn't be very good. When we look at it, though, uh, looking back at the start of the series, if anyone would have said it's going to be 1-1 after two games in Toronto, we would have, would have taken it, right? Oh, without a, without a doubt. That, 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 that's the whole thing. Like, yes, the 5-1 loss, it's, it's, it's really hard to watch. But look at the big picture here. They're coming back with a split. Like, if you would have asked any Canadians fan – before game one, hey, you know, you're going to go back to Montreal game three, tied 1-1, everyone would have taken that, right? Like, so, you know, you the hope is that you steal a game early on because, you know, maybe one team is not as ready, especially as the underdog. But, I mean, listen, that's that's 
that's the big thing here is that, you know, now you have to adjust. It's always easier for the losing team to make adjustments, right? Because you have to counter the, the team that wins. You kind of want to do the same thing you did in game one, which Montreal really didn't anyway. But Toronto adjusted in game two. Now it's time to Montreal's counter in, in game three. And, you know, I, if they go with the same lineup in game three, I will be absolutely shocked. I don't think anybody doesn't expect Cole Caulfield to play, including the Maple Leafs. Uh, so yeah, but yeah, this is this is not a bad scenario for Montreal. Yes, Game Two was not very good, but momentum is only as good as your next game. And if Montreal comes back stronger in Game Three, then you know the, the game the, the score of Game Two doesn't really make a difference. The fact is they lost. Okay, move on and and try to make sure that you don't lose two in a row. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there too. That if you asked any Habs fan before the series, you know, you go back to Montreal one one. They're going to take it regardless of score. You could tell me that, you know, game one's going to be a 2-1 win and game two is going to be a 10-1 loss. It doesn't matter. You're going back 1-1. It doesn't matter what the score of those games was. The fact that they took home ice advantage is going to be big because, you know, the Leafs are pretty top heavy. Their top two lines are the ones that do the most damage. Now you have last change. So now you can dictate the matchups a little bit more. Um, and, you know, like you said, hopefully if, if they can win – at least one of the games in Montreal. Ideally, you want to win both. You want to go back to Toronto with a 3-1 series lead and have a chance to maybe take it on, you know, <clears throat> away ice. But look, they're, they're in a good position for those two games because that last change is going to be big. And now they've got the advantage in the series. So it's, it's a, overall, it's a super disappointing game. But if you look at the two games as part of the series here, it's kind of a win for them because now they've got that home ice advantage. Look, look at it as a tennis game in a way. Holding serve. Because <laughs> yeah. you, you lost second set. It's fine. Yeah. You know, you, you won the first, you're going in, it's best out of three or best out of five in this case to go. And 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 that's what you have to do. You, you It doesn't matter if you win it 7-6 in a tie break or, or loses it 6-0 in... in, in yeah. In straight, in yeah, in straight games, it's it's nothing. Um, the, being able to have the last chance, uh, last change, does that mean that we we're gonna see more of Cole Caulfield? And and where would you put him in the lineup? I, I think that it means that you can put him into the right spots. I, I think that one of the things that that Dominic Ducharme struggled with in Game Two is finding a second center to put against Austin Matthews without Jake Evans. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny because I, I, a month ago, I don't know if many people expected Jake Evans to even be in the lineup. And now it, it, his, his absence is leaving a huge hole uh, because they don't really have that second shutdown center right now because it, it doesn't seem like Eric Stahl can do it. Uh, yes, Berika Kanyemi isn't getting trusted to do it. And Nick Suzuki uh, has, has struggled in, in, in the first two games. So I think what I would do is I would probably put Caulfield with Nick Suzuki on that line of Tyler Toffoli because a, you don't have to worry about their defensive play really because you have last change and, and B you need to get Nick Suzuki going. You, you absolutely need to get him going. You need to get Tyler Toffoli going. Those are two guys that, that need to score for this Montreal Canadiens team. So I think that that's where you would go. I, I, I think that you, you want to get, Caught Kanyemi a little bit more offense, maybe put, you know, or even maybe put him with, with Lekkanen and Armia, you know, there's little things you can do, but Cole Caulfield, if I put him in the lineup, I put him with Nick Suzuki. You saw the chemistry in the last game against Edmonton and, and you want to get offense. You don't, you don't need to worry about, you know, insulating guys when you have last change, because you can kind of use them as a, as a line that goes after 
you know, Joel Thornton's line or, or goes after Alex Galchenyuk's line a little bit even as well. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they match it up, but that's where I would put him. I can't agree more on putting him with Suzuki. The chemistry in the Edmonton game was palpable. I mean, I thought that that looked like a line that they should have ran with immediately in the playoffs. Um, on the other wing, Toffoli is an option. The other option that's kind of interesting is Yoel Armia. They're not getting a whole lot out of Armia right now. Um, he did get an assist last night, but that was kind of a shot that he fanned on and then Kakanyemi jumped on it. But Armia's puck retrieval abilities are pretty interesting on that line because Caulfield and Suzuki can do a little bit more creating. And, you know, Armia can be the guy that's, if they have to dump it in, he's going to be able to go into that corner and create some havoc and get the puck back. Um, Toffoli is still an interesting option, but I, th- I think, I mean, Nick Deschamps going to have to make that decision. He's going to have to, obviously Suzuki and Caulfield together makes perfect sense. It seems like a no brainer who you put on the other wing. I don't think is super important, but I think it's one of Toffoli or, or Armia. Um, e- either way, I think you get a bit of a bigger body on the other side and, uh, yeah, hopefully something that, like you said, creates offense because, you don't need to be worried about creating defensive lines right now. They weren't that bad defensively at five on five, right? They gave up two power play goals last night and one empty netter. So really they only gave up two goals at five on five to the Leafs. So defensively speaking, they're not doing that bad. They only gave up one in game one. So I'm not really concerned about the defense, especially not with last change. I'm more concerned about how can you create offense? So you put those two together, Suzuki, Caulfield, Give them one of Toffoli or Armia, and that's an exploitation line. You want them out there against the Leafs' bottom six as much as possible in an offensive role, and you you see what they can generate for you because they need goals right now. And that line, I think, is capable of producing goals. First and foremost, you got to draw the penalties, but second, you need a working power play. And uh, we all know how that is in Montreal. It's uh, non-existent uh, sometimes, but Cole Caulfield will obviously help with that. But how... Uh, I, I didn't watch the game last night, so, so I'll, I'll leave that to you guys. But I'll, I'll ask the question, like, how can Montreal draw more penalties? Obviously, <laughs> mm. they have to control the puck. <laughs> that, that, that's pretty much it, though. They, they have to have the puck. You know, like, how many times <laughs> do you, like, you, you watch a game and they show, like, the hits and, like, the team that's losing has, like, 48 hits and the team that's winning has, like, 13? It's like, yeah, because the team that's winning has the puck all the time. And that's, you know, how do you expect, you know, could there have been calls that went Montreal's way? Absolutely. But listen, you know, when you have the puck, you're going to draw more penalties because that's where the referees are, eyes are, right? They're not going to call necessarily the, the, the trip or the hold or, or the hit behind the play. They're going to call it where the puck is. And if you don't have the puck or if you're losing puck battles all the time, like Montreal did basically starting from the second period, because the first period wasn't bad you know, from Montreal perspective. They, it's not like they came out flat and, and everything that, that happened. They came out strong in the first period, just the penalties in the second period threw their game away. And I, I just have to break in here. Oh, uh, Belarus has just beaten Sweden in the world championships. <laughs> so, so they lost, they lost, they lost to Denmark, Denmark and Belarus. Eh? They probably should have brought, should have brought <laughs> Matthias Merlander Indeed. on the team. Um, no, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, Montreal's first period wasn't bad, but I, I think that to draw penalties, you have to win puck battles. You have to be first on the puck because the referees are going to see that if you're always second on the puck, and then you you hold or you hook somebody, they're going to call that because you're basically trying to catch up. So I think that the key for Montreal is just to, to find their legs. We've heard a lot of times where 
they, they need to work harder. I don't know what happened in the second period, to be completely honest, but, you know, and, and I'm not saying that the referees, you know, weren't one-sided, but I think that you have to put yourself in a position to get those calls. Toronto did, Montreal didn't. I think that's a, a fair assessment. At the same time, I mean, I, I did have a bit of an issue with the officiating last night. They missed a pretty clear boarding call from Zach Hyman on Kakanyemi. Uh, he like turned his back to him and kind of hit him with his, with his hip, almost like he was going for a hip check, but he hit him right in the numbers about two feet off the boards and threw Kakanyemi's face into the boards and the rest didn't call it. Um, like you said, Jared, I mean, when you have the puck most of the time, obviously the refs are looking there and that's why the Leafs were getting more calls. Um, but I think I, I would have liked to see, because there's been a number of coaches so far in these playoffs that have come out in their, in their media availabilities and said things about the officiating that they felt it was one-sided, that they felt it was not very good. And myself looking at the first two games, I mean, the second game was obviously a lot more one-sided than the first. The first was a lot more even in terms of penalties being called. But I feel like the refs are basically in regular season shape. Some of the calls they're making are regular season calls. Um, I'll, I'll say this as a Habs fan, that hooking call, or I think it was a holding call against Toronto in the first period, it was super soft. That's not something that I would normally expect to get called in the playoffs. So some of the things they're calling to me are like regular season penalties. They're not really penalties that you would normally see called in a playoff game. So I'm not sure what's going on there. I'm not sure if the refs are just uh, uh, maybe they're overworked because of the, you know, the condensed schedule this season, um, or if they're just not ready for playoff hockey. I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but I would have. But on the other hand, you, you, we want them to call the same kind of, of penalties as in the regular season. It really shouldn't matter if it's the playoffs or the regular season. Yeah. You, you even, you mentioned that call on, on Hyman. Sheldon keeps it after the game. It's like, while we're talking about penalties, uh, I, I didn't like the one that was called against us <laughs> and men- mentioned that the Hyman ones. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's, it's, it's a little bit weird. And, and Dominic, you mentioned coaches who called out the, the refereeing and Dominic Ducharme was asked uh, on, on Saturday, what, what he thought about, you know, whether he was surprised at the number of penalties that were being called, not just against his team, but in general. And he made sure to point out that I, I was surprised about how they were called in game two. Uh, when the question was clearly about the first two games. So I think that that, you know, he doesn't want to necessarily put the referees on blast because that's not a way to get calls going your way either. But there was just very cut Kanyemi who said, uh, you know, he was asked about the penalties and he said, you know, you guys know I can't talk about that um, or I have a lot to say, but I don't want to, I don't want to say it. So uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, obviously it's going to be, listen, the referees are going to look at the box score. And I would be very surprised if it was as lopsided in game three. That's just, the, you know, it's human nature. You know, you talk about even up calls. It's kind of, that's part of the game. It's just the reality of the situation. But yeah, I, I don't mind them calling those kind of penalties as long as you're consistent. And I, yes, there were missed calls on both sides. Uh, I'm not saying that the referees were, were good or perfect, but I, I just think that, you know, for Montreal to get more penalties, they have to control the puck. You know, make, make life difficult on the Toronto defenders and, and, you know, maybe you'll get more calls going your way because even the Kotkaniemi hit by Hyman was behind the play away from the puck. So, you know, you don't necessarily see that it's a board because you're not watching that part of the game. So it's, it, it, it's, referees have a hard job, but I, I, there's, there's ways that the Montreal Canadiens can put things more into their advantage. 
going uh, into to more of the broader NHL uh, and starting with with what we had as a preview, which was obviously not a very good preview because <laughs> Edmonton is is down two 0 to Winnipeg. Um, are you guys surprised? Because I am somewhat, but you know, I kind of mentioned this last time when we we talked about this is. Edmonton's only going to go as far as Mike Smith. And in game two, that goal that Paul Stastny scored in overtime was not very good, right? Like Mike Smith should have had that. And so, you know, it, the, the margins in the playoffs are very, very fine. And that's, that's, you know, Edmonton's going to go as far as Mike Smith takes them. And Mike Smith is probably, it might be the most inconsistent goaltender in the NHL because when he's good, he's great. And when he's bad, he's awful. And, and I think that no goaltender has bigger swings than he does. Like there's some that have, you know, more up and downs, but the, the scale of the up and downs for Mike Smith is just outrageous. And yeah, I mean, look, look, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl have been silent, which also you, def, you wouldn't necessarily expect. But you, you look at what an upset, how an upset can happen. And you look at Connor Hellebuck and you look at Mike Smith. That's how an upset can happen. Hellebuck is one of the best in the world. Smith can be at times, but at times he can be the worst goalie in the world. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised, but that was always going to be the way that Winnipeg was going to win this series. Yeah, and I, I think I'm honestly more surprised about the Oilers' lack of scoring. But, you know, like you said, the Oilers can only go as far as Mike Smith takes them. Also, offensively, they can only go as far as Dreisaitl and McDavid take them. If the Jets figured out how to slow yeah, them down or, or stop them, then they're in trouble because they don't really have a lot of secondary scoring outside of those guys, right? It's super important for them to have those guys going. If McDavid has a big night, they have a really good chance of winning. If he has a quiet night or a nothing night, they're in trouble, right? And that, you look at game two, I, I watched that game and the overtime goal by Stastny was brutal. He should have stopped that. Most NHL goaltenders would stop that. But you look, that was a 1-0 goal. So the game was 0-0 up to that point. So he actually had a decent game, but the Oilers couldn't score. So I think the most surprising thing for me is that they're not getting any pucks in the net. And if they don't start soon, I mean, they might get swept. Because if, if Mike Smith can't make one big save in overtime for you and you also can't score any goals, I mean, you're, you're definitely in trouble. The margin yeah. of error is so small. And, and when you have Mike Smith in there, who's not, you know, from shot to sh like his inconsistencies aren't even game to game. It's like shot to shot almost. Right. So uh, yeah, you know, you make him to overtime and, you know, he had a great game up until that point, but that that's the whole thing is that if you're not scoring goals, your, your margin of error is so small. And that's kind of what we see with Montreal over the last few years is that Carey Price has been really good, especially in the playoffs, but they've averaged uh, their 30th in the NHL among teams in the playoffs over the last, like, I think five or 10 years, I, I saw the number uh, last night, but Montreal is like averaging like two goals a game. And when you do that, your margin of error is really small. So, you know, you can only win basically if your goalie is allows one or zero. So uh, they did that in game one. It worked for them in game one, but yeah, when you're playing Austin Matthews, it's not a recipe for success. And yeah, if Connor McDavid doesn't score and yet the whole team doesn't score, you're asking Mike Smith to do a lot. If you're expecting him to score, to stop everything on a given night and score. Yeah. Like, you know, you, as much as I'm blaming Mike Smith for that one overtime goal, the blame goes with the rest of the team because, you know, you, you can't blame a goalie for losing one, nothing because how, how else would you expect him to win? You can't expect a goalie to get a shutout. 
and and win the game. So, and even if he does, you know, the game could still be going yeah. on now, right? So you'd have to you'd have to get their goal. You know, yes, that was a bad goal by Mike Smith, but yeah, Matt, you make a good point. It wasn't just him, uh, but yeah, it's also I mean, a very good shot from Stastny, though. It, it's it's behind. He has traffic. a defender. There's there traffic, has a, but yeah, and you, Mike Smith obviously sees that puck very late. So so there is yeah. that, but but yeah. Any other scores that uh, match scores that you look at? Uh, Carolina leads two one against Nashville. Colorado three 0 against St. Louis. Boston three uh, one against Washington. Edmonton, as we've spoken about, uh, New York uh, Islanders. Pittsburgh two two tied. Is that the series to keep an eye on, except for the Montreal and and Toronto one? Boston being in that much of a commanding lead over uh, the Capitals is the only one that kind of surprises me. I mean, I looked at the Capitals with their deadline acquisitions. I like, honestly, I think I tweeted it. I was like, you know, okay, I guess it's another cup for Ovi because they on paper looked like a really strong team and Boston's like, okay, none of that. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that they have that commanding of a series lead. Everything else, honestly, to me, seems pretty much about what I would have expected to see. I think, the Habs are maybe the only other surprise because a lot of people probably thought they were going to come out uh, down 2-0 uh, coming out of Toronto, but everything else seems to be going pretty much according to the script other than the Oilers and then the Bruins just taking it to the Capitals. Maybe the fighting in the, in the Florida series. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's a fun series, man. It, it, like it, just watching it like that's, that's it's a, with the crowd also into it. And that, that, that helps the Carolina and Nashville series as well, because those are two fan bases that I think get underrated a lot by, by especially Canadian audiences. Uh, that That's a fun series with fans in the stands as well. So I, I don't think anything surprise. I mean, the way that this format kind of was done is that you're going to have a lot of really good series. Like those two, three series are going to be good pretty much across the board. And the question was always going to be how good are those one, four series going to be Pittsburgh Islanders that I didn't even realize that was a one, four series. Uh, I guess that's, that's as little as I've been paying attention to, to the, to the other divisions, but uh, I would have thought that, you know, that would be a, maybe a two, three series, but yeah, I mean, obviously it tied two, two in a one, four matchup. That's a question mark. And Pittsburgh is in danger of losing as the favorite for the second year in a row. Obviously Montreal knows a lot about that. Uh, and yeah, I think that, you know, if, if Nashville can even a series, that would be surprising. I think a lot of people expected Carolina to kind of roll in that one, but it's kind of been okay. There's been a lot of close games. Minnesota, you know, what Minnesota won game one, didn't they, against Vegas? And then yeah. Vegas rolled out three straight. So that that was, you know, you may be expecting that one to be a little bit closer, but that's another one-four matchup that's going the way. I think, like, it's, it's kind of hit and miss, but I think the games have been really close for the most part across the board, even in the ones where the series are not, necessarily that close i mean boston washington the first three games went to overtime uh and the third one i think the fourth one i think was was tied going to the third if i'm not mistaken so i mean yeah it's going to be a a, they're going to be a close series and the the fun thing about this this playoffs format is that there's going to be some really intense series especially round two i think round two is going to be a little bit more interesting but uh yeah so for round one i you can't really complain I, i think that we were kind of thrown off guard from the bubble um last year but this first round has been really really good speaking of surprises apparently kazakhstan just beat finland in a shootout at the world championships <laughs> this world championships is is already off the rails it's, like it might be very good for sweden <laughs> that there are no relegation this year <laughs> canada too canada hasn't won a game yet either any early uh stanley cup favorites uh, for you matt i think it's hard not to uh to say colorado um 
other than Colorado, uh, hard to say. I, I really think that it's, I think they're the heavy favorite at this point. I was honestly Tampa my favorite. Added, Tampa with their added uh, paychecks. <laughs> <laughs> Tampa, I've honestly, I, I don't think they're, they're going to do it again. Um, my favorite in the East was Washington and now they're getting, you know, manhandled by Boston. So I'm not sure what to make of the East anymore, but out of the West, I see it being Colorado. And I think anybody coming out of the East is going to have a hard time with them. So whether that ends up being Boston or whether it ends up being Tampa, uh, they're, they're going to have a rough time in the, in the final against them. So, yeah, I think honestly, for me, for my money, I'd probably put it on Colorado if anybody. We, we might even see a, a East East or a West West Stanley Cup final, depending on, possible, on what yeah. happens. Right. So, uh, you know, the, the first round, we kind of forget about this because the first round has been pretty much chalk, you know, East, East or West, West matchups, except for Carolina Nashville. That's the only one, a weird, weird one, but round two, we can kind of see maybe not round two, but, but definitely in the, in the final four, when they reseed things, uh, you know, the, the Canadian team, depending on, on which team gets out of there might be uh might be some East, East or West, East, West matchups. So it, it should be interesting, but yeah, I, I for me, I think the teams that are, are supposed to win are pretty much winning for the most part. I, I think that we'll, we'll have to see if any of these big, big series leads come back. You know, Florida's going to Spencer Knight uh, down two games. So, you know, Montreal has seen a couple of times of how uh, a backup goaltender rookie uh, down two games in a series can come back and win the series. Um, you know, they have someone on their team that was a part of that team, and Eric Stahl. Obviously, I'm yeah. talking about Cam Ward. Cam but, Ward. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, you know, 3-1 seems like a safe lead, but how, I, I think Montreal has come back from 3-1 series deficits, I want to say at least four times since 2000. I, I could be wrong, but just off the top of my head, it's a dangerous lead because if you win game five, you're home for game six. And then you win game six, it's game seven, you've, you're on a, three, a two, two game winning streak. So, you know, it's, 3-1 is, is a kind of uh, a tough place to be in as if you're the the uh, the favorite because, you know, like I said, you you don't close them in game five. The team goes home for game six, wins that one, and then it's basically a coin flip in game seven. You've been listening to Hudson Minded, and uh, we're going to cut it there and uh, make sure to follow Matt Drake and uh, Jared Book on Twitter. Um, be sure to leave us some comments for to discuss in the next series, and uh, we're looking forward to, to game three in the Bell Center Unfortunately, not with the crowd, but um, playoff feelings will still be there and hopefully the ghosts. Thank you guys for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.